most painful thing. Hello and welcome to episode 111 of What Most People Think, or to cricket fans that'll be the Nelson. You can just imagine the umpire hopping on one leg. And I don't think I could go any more kind of like exclusive and niche with a cricket reference at the top of the show, but I promise that'll be the last one. How are you? Are you coping with the transition from kind of late late summer weather somehow to proper autumnal weather? Um, it's been that weird thing, isn't it, where you be in shops and it was still like last week, it was still 18 or 19 degrees places. But for some reason, shops and businesses always seem to set their thermostat to whatever the temperature was the day before. And you just be standing there just looking at clothes like in fucking Primark going, am I, am I, am I coming down with something? I mean, like a middle age, I always think generally that I am coming down with something. And what I'm coming down with is wear and tear on my body and the inexorable march towards death. There you go. Nice and positive. Uh, thank you to everybody that came to the Leicester Square Theatre shows uh, last week on Friday and Saturday. Uh, we also did tour shows in Guildford and Solihull. Solihull. Yeah, Solihull is incredible in that it's a place that manages to to get three syllables into a one-syllable word. Solio. Um, and there has been the tour extension. So I blame the parents. The tour is extending into 2022. We've got dates freaking everywhere. Uh, and thank you for those of you who have bought tickets already. And I will give an update on which shows we are doing. Uh, thanks to Joanne McNally last week. Sure, I can do, I will try and do the, the Dublin accent now. Joanne McNally was a wonderful guest. Is this culturally insensitive? Uh, but she was so funny. Wasn't Joanne so funny? That's not a bad Joanne McNally impression. There you go. Is that okay? Can men do impressions of women? I don't know in this current climate. And speaking of current climates, I should just explain the kind of vibe of this show, if you are a new or fairly new listener. It's called What Most People Think, and it is coming at comedy, politics, social issues from the point of view of someone who is, you know, a little bit right of centre. You know, not like... I don't spend my life being anti-woke, but there's certainly some woke things that make me scratch my head like a lot of people and think, what the fuck is all that about? Uh, so this week's quite a heavy news week, so we're doing a solo show. I hope you stick with it. We've got the COVID report that came out, and we've got uh, news of Boris Johnson daring to go on holiday, a little bit of Keir Starmer, and also some stuff about toy aisles in California, which you might have picked up upon. Uh, we've got some new patrons. We've got Paul Thomas and David Oliver. I think mentioned last week, but I'm just mentioning it again, just to be sure. Uh, John Keynes, I think he's new. John Keynes sounds like some sort of WWE guy, doesn't he? John Keynes. Uh, we got Julie. Julie! Um, I'm thinking of, remember that episode of Friends? Julie. Just Julie. I mean, Julie, I mean, you're not giving me your surname here, so we can presume maybe that you work in a job where you're, you know, you shouldn't be associating yourself with an extreme centre-right guy like me. I don't know where, where Julie works. Maybe you're a primary school teacher, Julie. Do you sit there? Do you sit there in the staff room and they're all going on about gender-neutral this and gender-neutral that? And you're thinking, I like being a girl. Um, <clears throat> oh, we got Johan. Johan Riddarstom. Riddarstom. Is that, that's got to be Nordic, is it? Or is that Dutch? Got to be Nordic. Finnish? I don't know. Johan Riddarstrom. Riddarstrom does sound like a really uh, high-volume cider, doesn't it? When you've tried the rest, but you want the best, Riddarstrom. 
Uh, we got Deborah Page, Debs, Debbie Page. You, you need to speak to Debbie Page about that. Deborah Page, I don't know what job you do, Deborah Page, but it sounds to me like you are a go-to person for many people. Speak to Debs. Deb, Debs will sort you out. And Adam Pierce, Adam Pierce, Piercey, Piercey, you are you're a classic rugger bugger, aren't you, Piercey? Hey, Piercey, yeah, no, I do. Yeah, I, I, st- I still play a bit if I can, Piercey. I mean, yeah, I mean, I. You know, I'm I'm all right, but actually, Adam Pierce. Then people go, yeah, yeah, he actually had a couple of trials for Saracens. He had a couple of trials for Saracens. I just don't know any rugby people. Is the bottom line? I don't. I think that's a consequence of being working class. People often say, you know, when I mention cricket, they go, "Oh, I thought you were supposed to be working class, Norcott, and you like cricket." I tell you, once, certainly once you get outside of London, cricket is pretty working class, but rugby. It's just, unless you play at rugby fucking league, you know what I mean? Smashing fuck out of each other. Uh, let's talk about the cuss count here. Um, so this is from our esteemed patron, David Domain. And he he was pleased to see that we were back on form with the swearing. So it was a guest episode and we were over 0.5 swears a minute. Uh, we had three arseholes, just stands out looking down the uh, breakdown there. And Joanne McNally, on her debut, her maiden episode, just to be gender specific here, uh, she managed 11 swears, which I think is a very credible uh, out in there. So let's just do a quick thank you and a fuck you before we get into the main show. It's going to be quite a tight show this week because, uh, well, I, uh, I'm doing Have I Got News For You uh, this Thursday. And I'm very, so it's Wednesday today as I'm doing this. This will probably go up Thursday. I'm recording it Thursday. Nervous as fuck. And so nervous. I mean, you've got to think that this is a show that I like watched when I was 16. I remember the first episode of this and the music like, and going, my God, how do they do it? How do they see these things about politics? And I'm going to be on it. And of course, I've already, you know, like there's been a couple of news articles, a couple of people, you know, like they would, they're just doing their job, but trying to insinuate that basically Nadine Doris got me the gig. <laughs> Because the culture secretary is Nadine Doris. She's just basically, she's uh, she's now the booker for Have I Got News For You. Sort of ignoring the fact that I've been doing stand-up 20 years and have done quite a few other um, topical shows. So there's a bit more pressure and scrutiny uh, on this. So it will be going out uh, Friday night. So if you watch it and you think I did a decent job, then feel free to tweet. Because I promise you, there's going to be plenty of people that will not be happy to see me uh, appearing on that show. Um, so quickly, a quick thank you. And I fuck you. Um, so thank you. I had a good gig. Uh, speaking of nerves, I had a good gig uh, Saturday. I had a lot of friends come down. Because friends would often do this thing of like, no, we'll all come to the one gig. And you understand because they want to see each other. But the jeopardy, you know, of looking at an audience and going, ah, sort of 10% of this crowd of people that I know. Um, it is. It gets in your head a little bit. But then you get, I mean, like, I, you sort of go to the catastrophizing worst worst end where you have to basically spend your week uh, fighting off these kind of uh, dystopian thoughts like one of them is is like just getting slow hand clapped <laughs> you imagine that getting slow hand clapped then looking up and seeing that your wife was leading it do you know what I mean she was like the ringmaster um but it went it went well it went well and so the flip side of that we should talk about the politics here is that once it starts to go well you know, like you really feel buoyed up by that fact and uh, and then you start showing off a bit. But re- So I, I'm really glad that that went well. So thank you, Comedy Gods. Evidently you were listening and you did me a solid. Uh, the fuck you is, have I already mentioned this, but I mean, I'm so annoyed by it. I'll keep going. Is the fuck you is to people being not at it 
at work since coming back from COVID. Now, I know that the furlough, the very last bit of the furlough uh, was the 1st of October, right? And I just feel like since then, I've been in a lot of places and a lot of situations where I feel like I should be shaking the hand of the person for even being at work, given the attitude that they're giving me. Have you had this service settings, people fucking stuff up? And it's all COVID, COVID, COVID. Do you know what it is? I, I reckon it's like, you know, after the summer holiday when you was a kid and you went back and the teacher would, uh, the te- the te- you, you'd sort of have an easy day, first day back. Remember that? You'd have an easy day and then like, there'd be those of us that were logical and thought, well, that's one easy day and we're back at it tomorrow. But there'd always be some teachers and some kids were like, let's turn the easy day into an easy week. And let's turn the easy week into an empty term. You know what? It's going to be Christmas soon. Okay, right, let's crack into the subjects this week. And we're starting off with looking at the cross-parliamentary, all-party, super-committee bollocks report about COVID. Okay, so we had this report uh, out this week. I think it was led by Tory MPs, Jeremy Hunt and Greg Clark. Um, anyway, they had the shock findings in this report. Lots of absolutely, this is going to blow you away, this, is that they thought we were a bit too late to go into the first lockdown. Yeah. Uh, that there were PPE shortages. Um, that it was a bit weird that we stopped mass testing, despite being the first country to develop a test. And basically everything that the media was saying throughout, right? I mean, it's all, it's all your favourites here, is that we were, you know, we were set up to deal with, uh, you know, um, a uh, kind of flu-based pandemic, not an asymptomatic uh, COVID, you know, coronavirus type thing. Um, they said the furlough was quite good. Uh, the vaccine was good. I mean, you could have just got this news. You could have, like, done this whole report just by following trends on YouGov. Um, I mean, the, the first thing that it presumes is that lockdowns were an unequivocal good thing. So if you start off from that point is that you'll then think that, you know, well, why don't we just go into one straight away? You know, like the first time someone ate bat soup in Wuhan. And I know that it's not definitely because of bat soup, but it's just uh, it's a metaphor for wherever the fuck this thing started, that we should have locked down then and, you know, done a, done an Australia and still been, you know, locking down millions of people based on, you know, somebody coughing in a fucking Waitrose. But, um, yeah, the one of the problems with doing inquiries so soon is that, is that we don't really have the collateral effects of of COVID to, you know, of lockdowns to equivocate with. Like, you you have to reckon at some point with the mental health effects, you know, the uh, NHS waiting lists, the fact that 12-year-olds at some point won't be able to spell, you know. There'll be little bits and pieces that that will come out uh, over the course of time. I I think if you did an inquiry, they're going to do a main inquiry in spring of next year. But I think that that, if you were to do another one in 10 years, I think it might be quite different. But, you know, let's say the lockdowns were the answer to absolutely everything, like a kind of uh, a silver bullet. And then it will look weird, you know, in future years that we did have, we did have the Cheltenham horse racing go ahead. You know, it, that will look weird to people. That'll be a tricky one. You know, as I say, based on the idea that, that lockdowns uh, won't be questioned in future, then that will look weird. That'll look like the kind of recklessness of, you know, that photo of those kind of American uh, sort of builders sitting on that girder suspended over the city skyline. It'll look like that, but times like 230,000. 
I mean, like they, they, all of this stuff was kind of so predictable. Like it could have included things like um, no one really stuck with the Joe Wicks thing beyond June. Uh, Matt Hancock not brilliant at grabbing ass. It was just all very Route One, right? Uh, they also they also had somewhere in the port the idea that we fell victim to the idea of British exceptionalism. Um, that somehow just being British that we would escape the worst of the of the COVID wave coming in from Europe. I, I don't know which aspect of British exceptionalism that is. I mean, the, the you know the idea that COVID can't exist in sort of fourteen degrees overcast, but it does seem you know like every day. Every day at the moment, the news, and this has been the case for some time, and it is is a critique of the government. It's a, it's a sort of broadside against everything the government are doing and who they are. And it's worth it's worth sort of saying, you know, if any young people are listening, is that it wasn't always like this. There used to be periods where the government weren't in the news, like other things would be headline stories. But if, if that happens now, it happens exceptionally briefly. I mean, everything is tied back to the government. And maybe that's partly from the idea that, you know, we have a big state now that should intervene across the economy and socially. So, you know, if anything's going wrong, whether it's kind of CO2 or, or, or not enough HGV drivers, do you know what I mean? Or insulating. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or, or like uh, not enough cars have got decent aircon. You know, the government have got to do it. And so that so it allows the media to go on this constant broadside. And if you throw in how people feel about Boris Johnson, right, the liberal press, liberals generally, they hate Boris, right? They dislike the Tories intensely. And then you throw in also the resentment many people have that Brexit even happened. It sort of amounts to a kind of super, super emotional state that people are in, whereby it's all out of attack uh, and it may well be this way for the whole time that this version of the Tories are in power. And it's not its not to dismiss this report. There are obviously important things in it, but it's just so incessant, isn't it? This was one thing that kind of people got fatigued of, you know, in, in the, during the lockdowns. It's so incessant that when something legitimate happens, um, they, they, they would say, well, why hasn't this uh, resulted in the Tories dropping 10 points in the polls. It's like, because you were talking about it for like a year and a half. It's it's fucking priced in. What most people think. And things were, you know, have been made to seem like they were issues in Britain and weren't anywhere else. You look at the PPE shortages, right, which we did experience here. But if you just put in PPE shortages, Russia, PPE shortages, America, Germany, Denmark, this was happening all over the world because suddenly, surprise, surprise, we needed a lot of it. And whoever fucking makes them, you know, they could only make so much, right? And it, and it, there is this habit that we seem to have fallen into is, is of thinking that anything that's bad, which is happening in the world, is only happening to us, right? And it's happening with kind of shortages at the moment. If you look at the, the US, uh, there are a lot of... Uh, they're already talking about things not being available for Christmas. There are a lot of tankers sitting off the, uh, off the coast of America. <laughs> but it's happening in the States too. But we, we just... You know, it comes from this, this, the other end of British exceptionalism, which is British unexceptionalism, which is there's a group of people that have to believe that Britain is the worst. You know, hashtag Plague Island. Oh, my God. Well, everyone's laughing at us. We're the laughing stock. They, they, it's sort of like a form of fucking BDSM for them, isn't it? Where they just sort of self-lacerate. Oh, my God, the French are laughing at us. And they, I so want their approval, but they're laughing. They tell me again, mummy. Tell me again, nanny. Um, the French laughing at us. Yes, yeah. Tell me one more time. Um, that was a bit gross, wasn't it? But 
but the and the lorry shortages, right? So I finally got a number on this. You know, we're down. A lot of countries in Europe have got HGV driver shortages. Admittedly, Britain's is particularly acute, but I think Poland have got more. Uh, we got hundred thousand here, and nine percent of that is to do with European drivers going going home. Right now, that is not inconsistent. You know, that is nine thousand lorry drivers. That's a lot of lorries. But equally, if you'd have just gone by the mood music of social media and the news, you'd have thought that the, the whole 100,000 was because we stupidly decided to leave a European Union. When actually, you know, in a weird way, that sort of lets the government off the hook because the government, once we voted for Brexit, by the way, they had to deliver it because, you know, that's sort of how democracies work. But, you know, the big fuck up here is that during the depths of kind of like the worst of COVID, we weren't we weren't doing enough testing of HTV drivers per month. You know, no one, no one anywhere thought, oh, right, normally we do 3,000 a month and we're currently doing in the low hundreds. Is this going to bite us on the arse? Is this something that we should make sure happens no matter how d- deep or how dark our lockdowns are? So I think that, you know, when it comes to this shocking, damning report, I do think... I don't know. I might be proved wrong. I do think it won't move the polls much because I think that this is the narrative that we've been fed uh, for quite some time now. And actually, you know, when you dig down into it, the mistakes were bad. But equally, you know, things like the vaccine rollout and furlough, you know, because surprise, surprise, free money often goes down well. It will it will have very little effect in the long run. Speaking of the government of Boris, Boris went on holiday arsehole going on holiday when stuff is happening i have to say i find it a bit churlish right that this has become a habit now i think it's now just a thing every time a prime minister goes on holiday the press kind of will report on it and we're supposed to fall into line and go i can't believe you know when it's the same as whenever mps get a pay rise or anything good happens for a politician i don't know what I don't know what kind of life we think politicians... Like, if you left it to the British public, I don't know what kind of life we would give politicians. We go, all right, I'll tell you this, they get 12 grand a year, okay, they get six days leave, including bank holidays. Actually, they should be working on most of the bank. Three days leave a year, because we just think that they're arseholes, right? There's no... (laughs) There's no kind of, like, base... There's no bottom to the well of contempt that we have for them. So I'm not sure the British public are always the best judge of what politicians deserve in terms of their lifestyle. And, I mean, if you take it, if you sort of take the logic on face value, it does seem to be that, but they say, well, we should, you, you know, they shouldn't go away while the country's in crisis. Yeah, well, based on that logic, you probably shouldn't have gone away since about 2016. I mean, this is, are we saying that the person with the most responsible job in the country shouldn't have a holiday? And, and, and another point here is he's got a baby under the age of two. That ain't a holiday, all right? That is not a holiday. I mean, he'd, I promise you, Boris Johnson would have been quite happy if something had kicked off last minute and he'd have said to his missus, uh, you know what, babe, you you go with a kid, I'll just stay here. And then he would have just locked himself away with a PlayStation and some uh, some whiskey. I mean, he, I think I think I am annoyed about him going away, but it's not, I, I'm, I'm conscious that it's not coming from a good place because I, it's, it's, I think it's because I'm jealous. I'm jealous that it's an undeniably good holiday. Like, it's a nice place it's going to be hot. He got it off his mate, you know. And one of the things about that kind of nepotism or, you know, being connected in that way is we all say, well, it's just not right, is it? But <laughs> what, what I'm really meaning is it's just not right that I don't have a friend like that. Um, I, I think I I think 
I could have coped if he'd have said that he was going on a holiday that I'd have hated, right? If he'd have said, I'm going, I'm going camping for the weekend, we'd have gone, good, oh, good. cheers, Boris. That's, I do feel better now, actually, because we'd have, in, in many ways, if he'd have said he was going camping, we'd have actually gone, poor bastard. He does that job, and now he's got to go camping with a little one, you know. And just, tell, just, just feed out some information, Boris. Just, just give us some sort of sense that the holiday isn't going well. Because the, the problem for him is it just got cold again. So tell us that, just lie, say that there's a microsystem of weather above your villa where it starts off nice, but it's pissing down by lunch. Um, to say that the villa that you're staying in just has this just this smell, this really weird sort of rotting smell. Because <laughs> we don't want to think that you're having a good time, but that's true of anybody. Jealous of anybody that's actually got their shit together. To kind of, I mean, I've, I've just, I mean, I've thought about going away. I'm aware that you can legally go abroad, but just when you think about the hassle, you know, the lateral flow tests, the money, we kind of go, oh, do you know what? Let's just go for a couple of days at Legoland, and then you know, two days at Legoland, they fleece me for two grand. I'm thinking, do you know what? I think, I think quarantine. Yeah, I think, I think that there's no limit to the quarantine that I could have taken, and it'd be better than this. And yeah, you know, like I, as, as regular listeners to this podcast will know, is that I am not the biggest Boris Johnson fan, but I do think that it must be hard to switch off from that job in particular. I mean, it's not just like he, it's not just like he goes away, right? And then he's just like, oh God, you know, like, 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 you know, <laughs> like one hour into the flight, he's had a and t on the plane or a Bloody Mary. Oh, can we just briefly talk about people getting Bloody Marys on the plane? Can anybody explain to me why the fuck, people that don't normally have Bloody Marys, you stick them on a plane and they go, I'll have a Bloody Mary, please. Is it just some weird kind of socially conditioned thing where you've seen other people do it or you've seen it in films? Because it's one of the most complicated and time-consuming... It's so selfish. It's one of the most complicated and time-consuming drinks to get. And and you you see, you know, everyone's just like, just get something that you can open the screws up. Beer or wine, stop showing off, all right? But no, Bloody Mary. Oh, right, they've got to put in the fucking thing and then the, the tomato juice, then the Tabasco and well, Worcestershire sauce. And then people seem to take great, great pleasure in telling me I like mine very bloody and very spicy. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's an expression of mine. I'm quite extreme, you see. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand it. But what I'm saying is, is I don't think that Boris Johnson, like an hour into that flight, is just cricking his neck going, God, do you know what, baby? It does feel good to be away. I think that every little thing on that flight is reminding him of his job. Do you know what I mean? He's just looking there, face mask, fucking hell, those might have to come back if you have another spike. You know what I mean? He's looking in. <laughs> then the stewardess goes, uh, I've run out of peanuts. He's going, shortages, Jesus Christ. You know, is is is, is, is this plane got enough fuel? So, yeah, sympathy for Boris Johnson. It doesn't often happen on this podcast, but I'll say, yes, he does. It is okay that he goes away. Shocking, radical take. Just a quick one. One more thing on the politics is uh, Keir Starmer. I haven't done that for a while, have we? He, uh, there was, I don't know if you've seen it, but if you just Google Keir Starmer HGV, uh, someone has filmed him. So he's gone to an HGV testing centre. Because obviously his, his team have gone, you know, we need HGV drivers. This is a positive thing. It shows that you're across it, Keir. You're across it. And they've said... Do you want to do you want to do you want to do a little bit of an HGV uh, maneuver there, Keir? And he's gone. Yeah, oh, yeah, I will do. Yes, a bit of can do. Yeah, that will look good. Uh, Keir Starmer in an HGV. Uh, why not? And 
what could possibly go wrong? And I just think, and it did go wrong. Of course it did. He, he uh, It's a hard fucking manoeuvre. He had to reverse an HGV and at the end, I mean, you've got to watch this clip. It's almost like one of those BBC3 mockumentaries where the guy tells him that he would have failed his test and Keir goes, very good, very good. Because <laughs> he's just immediately going, oh, fuck, this was on film. And he, I mean, I've just got to ask, given some of the stuff that Keir Starmer's done recently, does somebody in his team hate him? I mean, if I'm, if I'm in Keir Starmer's team and he says, oh, well, one of the uh, labs there has asked me if I want to do a little HGV test, I would have gone, don't fucking do it. Do you know what I mean? Just just pose of yourself behind the wheel. Do you know what I mean? You don't think, you don't think Maggie Thatcher actually drove that tank, do you? Do you know, you're like, you're not going to... Just, just associate yourself with the thing. Don't try and master... No, I, I think I'll, uh, I'll get up and give it a go. He... He also, he he visited a cereal factory um, the other week um, and he made a joke about Special K and I don't know if he knows that, you know, that is another name, the street name. I love that word, the street name for ketamine. Um, but but forget all that, he just fumbled the joke. He said, uh, yeah, so he said something about Special K and he went, uh, that, that's actually my name. I've had uh, Special, Keir Starmer, Special, special K. Brilliant. So you fumbled a joke. It also had a drugs connotation. And you've associated yourself with nobody's favourite cereal. Nobody's favourite cereal. It's almost like a metaphor for Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer, nobody's favourite cereal. Um, (laughs) What, you mean that bland fucking thing that you would only have as a last resort? Oh, Jesus. Somebody get him some good... I might advise the prick, you know? He needs someone like me. Um, I mean, just his advice as well. Stop being dicks to him. What, what, what's are they going to go next week? Oh, yeah, next week here, uh, we've got you milking a cow, uh, although it could be a bull. And then we've uh, got you doing a bit of judo with the 11-year-old girl champion of Britain. You know, what could go wrong there? Yeah, she might do a fucking body slam on you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'll do that. Sounds like a good photo op. Okay, just chipping in briefly here, um, because I don't have advertising. I have wonderful patrons that that fund this, uh, so I can basically advertise my own shit. Uh, The tour has extended. Bear in mind, we've we've still got autumn dates coming up. I am at Leicester, the Y Theatre on the 17th, uh, pretty much uh, Birmingham on the 28th. Uh, All the others are close to sold out. But let's just, I'm going to go through all the tour dates now. Uh, We are in, next spring, we were in Crawley, Aylesbury, Brighton Hove, not Brighton and Hove, just Brighton or Hove. I don't know, fucking all the same to me. Cardiff, Sheffield, uh, Margate. We might be going to Stoke, adding a date there. Norwich, there were some issues with the ticket in for that. We hope to have them sorted soon. Winchester, Carlisle, Newcastle, Wellingborough, Bath, Taunton. I don't know why I said like Taunton, fucking hell. Um, Plymouth, Belfast. You're right there, we man. I'm coming out to see you. I'm coming out to Belfast. Stick around. Um, okay, we'll get complaints about that. Uh, the Wirral. The Floral Pavilion. The Wirral. Lincoln. We're going to Lincoln. We're going to Huddersfield. The Lawrence Batley Theatre. We're going to Wolverhampton. Worthing. Portsmouth. Melrose, which is somewhere in Scotland. I don't fucking know where, but it's definitely in Scotland. Aberdeen. I know roughly where that is. It's near the top. It's not really near the top, but it's as far as I'm willing to go. <laughs> South End. Manchester, we've got another Manchester date, 30th of April, Maidstone, Swindon, fuck me, we're going everywhere, Ipswich, 
And then we've got another date, a London date on the 29th of May, which we are we're going to be talking about this week. So keep your eyes peeled. This is this is big. It's big for me. It's a huge emotional thing. I can't talk about it. I'll, I'll talk about it with you uh, next week. But if you go on Live Nation, uh, just Google Jeff Norcott Live Nation Tour. I mean, you know how to find stuff on the fucking internet. And uh, just please buy tickets for, for Jeff's, for Uncle Jeff's blood pressure. Just with buy tickets. You know what I mean? Even if you don't want to be a patron, even if you can't come, just to get drunk, do an impulse purchase, and then wake up the following morning and go, what the fuck did I buy tickets in Carlisle for? Okay, a couple of patrons messaged me. They wanted me to talk about this, and I'm happy to talk about it. So it's news that there's a toy aisle uh, thing in California where the state have moved to legislate that toy aisles must have a gender-neutral aisle. Now, it should be said here that the way that it's been communicated by right-wingers makes it seem like you're not to have a boy or a girl aisle. You can still have the boy or girl aisle, and then you have the the gender-neutral aisle. And it does seem like yet another decision where someone suggested something in a boardroom and all the old white guys were too scared to shoot it down. You know, they've promoted somebody a bit more diverse, a bit younger, do you know what I mean, a bit less white than them, and that person has made a suggestion that's a bit more woke than they are, and they've gone, yeah, absolutely, brilliant, thank you, thank you for, we will do that, I do not, well, I'm just looking around the room, anybody else going to... Nope, no one's going to shoot that down. Yeah, we'll have a gender-neutral toy aisle. Great, great. And I mean, let's just be clear about this is that they've only really gone to market with this because it's to sell more toys, isn't it? It's to sell more toys because they know that some people are like, ugh, ugh, you know that sound that uh, progressives make? Ugh, they're just ugh, disgusted by everything. Ugh, ugh, the world makes me ugh. Um, but they, you know, if you give them a gender neutral, they want to support that, right? You know, I would crank up the fucking price. Because they will, they will no doubt pay a little bit extra to talk about that at dinner parties. Trust me. And you know, it's part of this. It's just this society changing at a rapid rate, and and, and a rate that, in if we're honest, in most cases, outstrips where the vast majority of people are. You know, do does the vast majority of society want gender neutral toy aisles? I mean, like if you ask them, maybe quite a few will. It might not be a priority. Um, it depends. It depends how you ask the question. Like if you said, is there anything wrong with having a gender neutral toy aisle? Probably less people would say that there was, right? Because of the way it's phrased. If you said, is there any great need <laughs> to have a gender neutral toy aisle? I think a lot of people go, well, not really either. So it all depends on the question. And it does make you wonder with this stuff, right? All, all these uh, companies, you know, this week Superman has come out as bisexual, where well, the son of Superman has come out as bisexual. And, you know, a lot, a lot of... Uh, kind of fictional characters <laughs> are coming out as gay. I mean, it does. there is something weird. I do see it both sides. You know, like on the one hand, clearly they're just trying to get attention and, and kind of virtue signal to a point. But it is obviously, you know, a fictional character could kind of be anything that they want, you know? I, I think Superman could fuck anybody, right? In, in any galaxy. The problem at the moment is that there are these moves to to these progressive moves that in most cases go ahead of where society's at. But where does it sort of end? You know, and I'm not saying always the thin end of the wedge, but because they won't ever stop, because for a lot of people that kind of agitate for these moves and feel good about this, it is a way of them reminding themselves on a day-in, day-out basis that they are good people, right? So, I mean, what what next, eh? What, your degender cervix? I mean, that's never going to happen. But I do wonder, you know, 
like when it comes down to to gender, because a lot of people find gender problematic because it is they see it as kind of a society imposing a set of characteristics on people. Whereas I, I mean, there's sex, right, which is what you're born and and in in most cases, but certainly not all, is the obvious sexual characteristics that you have determine your sex, and then gender is the sort of personality traits that that go with that. But I've always thought, you know, I've always thought, for my penny's worth, you know, and this isn't scientific, but then it turns out neither was sage, um, <laughs> is that maybe some of what is called gender is a consequence of sex. Like, gender isn't just this patriarchal conspiracy that loads of old white men smoking cigars have a meeting for, the meeting of the patriarchy. Right, this week the patriarchy will remind women to stay in the fucking kitchen. Um, the... <laughs> I mean, because you see it in animals, right? So you see it in animals. Whenever you watch these secret fucking lives of zoo programs, they're always going, oh, yeah, and they love telling you about how the males and the females act, right? So they'll say, so the thing is, the male now will, will display for the woman, and he, the men are very cocky, actually, the male parakeets. You'd be surprised, such small creatures. They're actually smaller than the women, but um, they'll do this little moonwalk, right? And you kind of go, all right, so there is an animal that has something coded in it, like a way of behaving. And you see it, some of them are born. Some animals were born. Like I saw the birth of these lizards uh, last night and um, they just immediately started swimming. I mean, you, you know, a lot of mammals, they're pretty pathetic when they're born, aren't they? They need, I mean, they're, like it takes years, <laughs> literally years before they can do anything for themselves. You know, six years old, not able to tie a shoelace. These lizards were like, right, I'm off. See you later. I'm going to get some lunch. See ya. <laughs> Some animals are just at it, aren't they? You know, like the giraffe's born. It's like, right, I'm going to stand up. Okay, any, any, uh, there's some leaves. Whereas babies are born and they're just like, I am pathetic. Do everything for me. And this is true of other mammals as well. So is it not possible, is it not, dear listener, that there could be some stuff that um, that is within us, right? The fact that, you know, these things that people find it hard to explain, like that little girls use a lot more words than boys, a little, <laughs> little girls generally a bit nicer than boys, teenage girls generally a lot not nicer than, <laughs> than, than boys, you know, boys more uh, aggressive, right? You know, the fact that, and even just an awareness of your sex, does that not breed certain behaviours? Like you're aware that women, you know, give birth right that women it's where it's where it gets tricky right because men obviously men can have babies obviously men can have babies right who who would ever disagree with that um but that women's bodies are set up to both you know gestate and nurture and feed children so that maybe it's kind of natural that that impacts on our perception of self it doesn't mean it has to inhibit what we can do in life but that broadly speaking that these might affect us and consequently, more women, you know, go into the care industry, more men are attracted to jobs that have risk. There's obviously something fucking going on here, which has been for a while. And to just pass it all off as the consequences of this this kind of like global conspiracy of gender, I'm not sure that's accurate. And it is hard. You know, you've got, you're bringing up a kid now. I mean, I am sort of a bit conservative sometimes, you know, a bit more traditional. But my son, he's five and a half and he's grown up in a world where things are moving quickly and I have to just be try and be honest to him right? just sort of say look son you know there is no reason why a woman couldn't be a mechanic but evidently most of them don't fucking fancy it you know <laughs> there's no reason why men can't be primary school teachers but um they just don't want to okay and you son have got to decide for yourself why that is and so all these little moves tinkering around the edges 
gender neutral toys i think that there's there's a degree of social change that they can affect but one day you will i think come up against the reality that for most people like gender is a consequence of sex and actually um, gender characteristics are something that people quite like you know especially for heterosexual people they often form the basis of attraction between us so you know, once again, corporate world and government may be running a long, long way ahead of where the vast majority of people find themselves. Speaking of gender type stuff, I've got uh, just one letter this week, and this is from, uh, we'll call her Amanda. I'll give her a slightly different name. I don't think she wanted to be named. Um, I'm just going to read out one part of the letter, because Amanda is a trans woman who kind of comes back to me on certain issues and updates me, and I, I just find it interesting. Do you know what I mean? I don't always want to, well, somebody who's actually gone through this and knows what it's like to be a trans person uh, in Britain uh, today. And she's talking about the Dave Chappelle special. So I don't know if you've seen this. Dave Chappelle has got another special that has dropped, in inverted commas, on Netflix. I mean, it's just it's just been uploaded, I would say. But it's dropped, and a lot of people are upset because it takes on and talks about trans issues. It makes jokes about trans issues, and, and it, it certainly pushes the envelope in the way that you'd expect a, a top-quality comedian like Dave Chappelle to do so amanda says this i saw a couple of things in the news that i wanted to talk about but this is what i'm going to focus on i don't know if you've seen the ferrari over dave Chappelle's show on netflix where he pretty much spends the entire hour talking about lgbt issues brave man i say he's sticking his head right into the lion's mouth and i suspect daring to say things that a lot of people are thinking but very few have the balls to come out and say I don't know if that was a deliberate gag there with balls, but but I like it. Uh, I was crying laughing when he said he talks about a trans woman's pussy and says, I'm not saying that to say trans women aren't women. I'm just saying that the pussies they've got are beyond pussy. <laughs> or impossible. <laughs> Sorry if this is grossing you out, me reading this. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it. It's a bit more graphic after that, but I think we'll leave it at the phrase beyond pussy. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, look, if you, we, you know, one of the issues that a lot of kind of conven- conventional conservative people have about trans thing is they are, let's be honest, a bit icky about the genital stuff because it's the unknown, right? We just don't know. We don't see much of it. We just don't know what it's like. People are unsure. To look at it another way, if you had a chance to design a vagina... I mean, the, uh, there's some serious possibilities uh, in there. But, I mean, look, I've slightly been drawn off track here, as you can hear. But I think the point is, is, is that's being made there, is that's coming from a trans woman that doesn't see... Like, in a way, you're being included in the discussion by Dave Chappelle. And all this kind of... I was going to say pussyfooting. I mean, like, the, the puns just keep coming. They, and there's another one. Is, is when you stop talking about specific groups in comedy... One thing you have to understand is that you're leaving them out of the conversation. So you might think that you're doing them a favour, but actually, you know, everybody, I mean, particularly in Britain, I think, is that it's it's almost a national coda, is that everyone, no one is beyond being taken the piss out of. So, so if you're saying certain protected groups can't be discussed in a comedic way, you're excluding them from a social transaction, which is really important to who we are. Mm, that was a bit worthy, Jeff. Yeah, it fucking was. Okay, so that is the end of this week's show. As ever, uh, anyone that's left me a five-star review on iTunes, uh, I will read them out. I appreciate anywhere that you leave reviews, Podbean, Amazon, fucking Spotify, but uh, these are these are the only ones, sadly, that are easy to access. Um, so this is from Andy. He says, 100% success on KPI, laugh out loud funny. The best humour is, uh, is honest. Don't miss an episode. Thanks for the sanity, relief, and distraction. Thank you. 
Um, this is, I'm not so sure that he's actually right wing. Loving Jeff, seriously clever guy, brilliant insights and amazing sense of humour. Got to say though, uh, <laughs> got to say though, during the Joanne McNally episode at one point, he sounds like the blow off fake agent. Well, I mean, the, the point about our political identities, and I hope we're all moving to this, is that we all have stuff that cuts across different sides. I'm quite socially liberal, I'm quite economically right-wing, and I'm sure that left-wing people, I've always said this, a lot of people who say they're left-wing, you see how right-wing they get on law and order when they see litter. Honestly, lefties, they go fucking mental. Um, this is from Paul Rabbi. Um, I've been listening to this podcast since inception. Uh, it's a good listen to a comedian who is not afraid to admit his vulnerabilities. He has guests from across the political spectrum and does the honour of actually listening. I was supposed to be cruising the Caribbean for my birthday, so instead I've swapped it for a room at a Premier Inn and a ticket for his Southport show. All right. Um, fair enough. I mean, Jesus Christ, what a come down. I mean, I, look, I think it's going to be a good show. Um, but, you, yeah, you were supposed to be in the Caribbean and you were in Southport watching me at a Premier Inn. Fucking hell. Uh, updated review. Went to see... Um, have I read this one before? Uh, so basically somebody, this is from Ash, who came to see me in Northampton and really enjoyed the show. Thank you very much for that, Ash. Um, this is from Mike Minihane. <laughs> what a great name. Mike Minihane. Yay, have you got one of those voices? It's Mike Minihane. In the afternoon here on Radio Cambridge here. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. You've all me, almost brought me round to embracing cricket and that's high praise from an Irishman. Oh, fuck's sake. Well, it's completely wrong. I'm, I'm taking one of, your, one of my friends to your show on Saturday night. I haven't told him you're a conservative. Let's hope we're still friends after. I mean, you've got to have Tories in... Uh, yeah, you've got to have Tories in Ireland, haven't you? I'd imagine... I mean, not, not like, you know, not British Tories, but conservatives, right? There's got to be the old Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. One of them's got to be less left-wing, right? Or are they just both, like... We're one is left wing and one is really fucking left wing, uh, but anyway, and I'm sure I have an email. By the way, if there's anything I've said in the podcast that you want to come back to, pick me up on uh, email. What most people think UK at gmail dot com. Thank you very much for listening to this solo episode. There'll be another episode next week, almost certainly a guest show. But have a fantastic week and uh, listen, man. Uh, just just wish me luck for have I got news for you any support is gratefully achieved oh he's gone all pathetic isn't he I'm nervous <laughs> get the phallium Okay, okay, okay.